to the Dark Depth Podcast, your go-to place for the modern and legacy formats. I'm one of your hosts, Billy Mitchell, and I'm here with the emissary of Trest himself, Michael Mapson. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Been a short week for us at school. I have uh, had a one-day week, and then we're in uh, Easter break now, which is really super nice. We got a week off. Jealous. I mean, I also kind of just had a week off, but I could go for another week off. I think always go for a week off. The issue with having a week off is that when you get finished the week off, you're like, man, I really need like five to seven more days to really re- lean back into the, my last week off. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Being an adult sucks. It's the worst. The, I, there was a point in my life where I was like, man, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to have responsibilities. I'm going to be so excited. I'm going to drive my own car and people, I'm going to be able to eat whatever I want. And then like, I, I like, turn 30 and like I can do that but then like my back will hurt and like my teeth will ache and then I'm like this is this is a terrible idea I don't want this anymore I mean I'm not even 30 yet and my back already hurts so are you telling me it's gonna get worse oh it gets so much worse your, your back your knees it's gonna it's gonna like lightly rain you're like oh my ankles excellent this is what I want out of life mm-hmm. well you stay relatively active right like you still I know you were working out a lot before like, are you still exercising here and there i don't know if i'd say a lot uh I, I was working out and then i got lazy again um but you know it's getting nice out uh just got my bike all set up for the year so plan to be out biking it's really convenient that i live right across the street from uh, a bunch of biking trails Ooh, so okay. very easy to get out yeah i have to get in the habit of like jogging again i hate jogging i i Last place I lived, we had a indoor gym, so I got to run on the treadmill, which is okay. Uh, but I, when I was younger, I had really severe allergies, so running outside always just makes me feel like I'm gonna like have my throat closed and I'm gonna like pass out on a random street corner. Um, so I try not to do that as an adult, um, even though I can, like I'm physically capable. But just running outside never never hit me the right way. Biking seems a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, I also hate running outside. I, I like biking, uh, although I don't really think of biking as an exercise thing, which drives my wife crazy whenever we go biking together. Uh, I just, you know, I go along at a leisurely pace. Like, I just like to experience what's going on. Just feel But, the you know, world. it is inherently healthy. It is, yeah. And, like, I think, honestly, just getting, you know, they say what, it's like 30 minutes of activity a day. Like, um, really doing anything besides sitting on the couch, I think, is, is a benefit. So, it's always good. All right. Do you want to talk about some magic? We even talk, I feel like well, I guess we have talked a little bit of magic well, this week. Yes, but not yet. I need to uh, before we get into like the meat of the show. Mm-hmm. I need to point out perhaps the best part of my week. Okay, what was that? Make the people aware. So uh, the listeners have heard at this point that we were participating in a little webcam league. <sighs> I, I just want to say the finals came down to. Myself and one Billy Mitchell, uh-huh. and obviously I crushed him. The tight two games. Yeah, so I, I just say, I just want everyone to know the the crush was like a little strong. I had you on the ropes <laughs> in game one. Um, just to, to set set up the stage here, um, if I can draw a land, if I can draw a land over, I think it was I think it was two turns, it might have been three turns, uh, but if I draw a land, I win on the spot. In game one, I don't draw a land for multiple turns, and then I just die to uh, a merit lage. 
And then in game two, game two I thought was actually really interesting. Just the the board state we kind of ended up with in the, in the last turn. Um, I had an Altar of Dementia and an Abrupt Decay in hand. Um, and a, a Hogak, a... What was it? Did I have the Hogak or didn't have the Hogak? I think I had... Uh, the... Hogak was in hand. Hogak was in hand. Um, but I had a Hedron Crab, um, a Dryad Arbor, and a Bloodgast, I believe. Um, you had a Pithing Needle and one... I think it was two cards in hand. Something like that. Um, so... And from I guess we talked about this after the match too, but it was it was interesting. So I had the one card in hand. Did you think I had um, the assassin's trophy that you were, that you were kind of worried about in the matchup? Um, you never tapped slow enough where you couldn't have had it. So there was just not really a reason for me to go for it. You weren't presenting any amount of lethal pressure, so I didn't really have a read on if you did or didn't have it. I was just kind of aware. Okay. There is a possibility he's definitely indicating that he could have it. Odds are not great. Uh, and it's more than likely that you were just indicating that on purpose. But I was also under no pressure to, like, make you have it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my issue for my side, because I obviously had the abrupt decay. I wanted to turn off your needle. The needle was brutal, too, because I think if you if you didn't have the needle on turn two, I think I was, like, in like insane shape. Um, But you also had the... Uh, reclaimer active so you had the um, reclaimer active so in my mind too you actually had the ability to pachuca bog me at any point um which for me of playing around that and because you're holding up two mana you also could have had abrupt decay or assassin's trophy or something like that to kill my um my altar but i'm just fo so focused on the reclaimer that i'm kind of like blind to everything else at that point I think the worst part, I think you said you had, you actually had drawn the Pajuka Bug naturally, right? So it was actually just sitting in your hand. Oh, it was in my opening hand. Yeah. yeah there was no fear. <laughs> there was nothing to worry about from your side the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, I think with, with open information, like I think from a, like a third party perspective, I wonder if um, it's still defensible, you know what I mean? Like I think I, I definitely could have held up the two mana for the Assassin Trophy, you know, representing the Assassin Trophy for a little bit longer. Um, because until, I guess, uh, until you draw a discard spell, like you said, there's no pressure on you to have that. So it actually gives me a little bit more time, I think, to sculpt a better hand. Um, so I probably should have just held, I think, a little bit longer, too. That's, that's kind of what my, my big takeaway for that match was. I don't know. My big takeaway was that I'm better than you, <laughs> and I am holding that invisible trophy now. So. Yeah. Well, that matchup too. I, we said this before. The matchup for me is not not favorable. Um, I, I'd rather not play Hogak versus Depth if I don't have to. Um, which I think once again, like I've played it a couple times. Um, but I, like last time, last two times I've played it. I haven't played Hogak online in a while versus versus Depth at least. Uh, but last time I played it was versus you, and the time before that was versus Tom Hep. So like my my matchup has not gone particularly well. But I, I don't think that's a product of the matchup necessarily. I think it's a more product of you and Tom Hep. Um, I'm not trying to play. Game I don't know. I think it's the matchup. The matchup's pretty abysmal for you too. I think yeah. I think so too. Like the without, if you don't have any roadblocks, like if you don't have um, access to a turn one reclaimer, 
or the uh, pithing needle, like I feel a little bit better about it. But you are mulligating to hands where you have that post board, or you have you know a ley line of the board or something like that. Like the, it's I don't think that matchup is supposed to be good for me pre board, and I don't think it's supposed to be get any better for me post board. Yeah, definitely not. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Anyways, now now we can move on. Cool. Now that everyone knows. Now everyone knows. All right. Well, let's. Uh, so I guess since you won the trophy, I'll let you go first. Do you want to talk about the modern deck of the week? Sure. So for my modern deck of the week, I'm picking uh, the 29th place list from what was the Sunday's challenge? Uh, I believe it was um, Saturday. Yeah, I guess it was Saturday's challenge. Yeah. One of the challenges. One of them. Uh, <laughs> 29th place Scapeshift list, piloted by my friend Rodney Bedell. Uh, so this list, I know he took it from um, Andrew Jessup, actually, but uh, he, he worked on it some, so we can just credit him anyways. Uh, but this, this deck is kind of kind of a mashup of different things people have done with Phallicut in the past. So you have like Elvish Reclaimer package with Flaxons of Trocare, uh, which we are all super familiar with from, you know, the green-white Titan days. Uh, so that's just a great way to, to ramp up. Um, and you also... Sorry, I'm, like, knocking stuff over in my office. It threw oh, me off. Okay. <laughs> um, so you're playing kind of this ramp package with your Elvish Reclaimer, Flaxons, and your Dryad of the Legion Grove. Uh, you are trying to kill people with Valakut, as I already mentioned. So you're also playing Scape Shift for the clean combo kill. Uh, you're playing Cleansing Wildfire also to go with your Flags and Zutrocare as part of your ramp. Um, and then you kind of tie the whole thing together with Bring the Light, uh, just another way to find uh, either ramp or something like Supreme Vernic or one of your sideboard cards. And then you're just playing a couple controlling cards, your Lightning Bolts, your Remands. And then obviously a stack of lands. Um, so it's really kind of like, it, it feels almost like a mashup of like the green red Titan shift decks and the old school, like four color bring the light control decks. Uh, so I just really like that this deck really seems like it has a lot going on from various angles. Uh, it's also got the one Valky as like a kind of backup plan because you can still bring the light for that and cast Tibalt Cosmic Imposter, which is Still a really good card at five mana. Yeah, for sure. I think we need to accelerate a little bit faster um, through things like Cleansing Wildfire, like you mentioned before. Yeah, so. Um, the Looking at the deck real quick, they it looks like they have, um, I counted 10 mountains in the deck. Um, three um, Ketria Triomes, one mountain, two uh, Ragrin. Uh, Triumphs, um, Secret Foundry, Tavel Triumph, Steam Vents, Stomping Grounds. Um, so, like, is, is that a tight number playing playing that few mountains? Uh, no, ten ten is actually pretty stock. Okay. Yeah, there's been times where I, when I was new to the, to playing Scapeshift strategies, I used to always play eleven, so that it was harder for me to mess up. But mm. ten is ten is basically where you want to be. Uh, in the past, that's made the mana kind of difficult. Uh, since the like, Triomes have been printed, it's really made the mana in these decks a lot easier to figure out. Ketria Triome and like uh, Ragran Triome, or however you say it, mm. those two in particular have been huge. 
Yeah, I mean, they do, they really do such a great way, a great job of tying up the man, especially when you start adding in, you know, the cards like, you know, Teferi, really, I guess is really the the big one, adding in Teferi. The Catcher of Triumph is already rug, so that's hitting three of your main colors. Um, but I can definitely imagine trying to add in, you know, uh, Teferi early, um, potentially casting the Supreme Verdict if you need to from your hand, like having access to white sources is, you know, kind of essential. And also yeah. you're playing the Flagstones too, right? So Yeah, Flagstones being able to get like a three color land is pretty great. Mm-hmm. It's really yeah, it's really cool. The the sideboard, um it's definitely playing some cards I haven't seen in a while. Um, do you like playing the the Madcap Experiment, uh Platinum Imperion like combo synergy? I don't know what you want to call it there. So the Madcap Experiment plan is always something I have really mixed feelings on because it's really good in some matchups, but I also feel like it's been established for so long in scapeshift strategies that your opponent should kind of just be boarding for it. But I think that also these kinds of strategies don't see that much play typically. So even though I feel like people should be aware that you're boarding into that, they're often not. Um, So it's probably still pretty good. I saw... A hilarious screenshot this week. I actually don't remember if it was from Rotney or somebody else, but they brought in the Madcap experiment and then forgot to bring in the Platinum Imperium. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, one quick way to, to end a game. For sure. It's like the biggest of all punts. Um, the other one in the sideboard that kind of confuses me because I haven't seen it in a while is Sigarda, Host of Herons. Um, that's the five mana one from Avacyn Restored, uh, flying hexproof spells and abilities your opponent's control can't cause you to sacrifice permanence. Uh, what are you bringing that in, in the matchup for? Um, so historically you bring that card in against Jund. Um, there's not that much Jund right now, so I don't know if it's necessarily for that. It's also like not terrible against something like control. It's just, you know, a flying hexproof, like, Theater. Mm-hmm. I can end games relatively quick. Uh, this is a stretch, but you could bring it in against um, something like Amulet, where if, if you think they're going to bring in Emrakul, but that's not really a, that doesn't really seem like a winning plan. You would still just die to the 15, 15 flying trampler. That's true. Um, Interesting. So I, I don't know. I don't really love the Sigarda. Too much. I mean, I like a lot of the other cards in the sideboard, though. So maybe I just don't understand. Yeah, like maybe it does fill fill some kind of niche you're just not aware of. Um, yeah, because Jund was the first thing I thought of too. It's like I guess it, it does you know stop you from Liliana the Veil. Um, my other thought is it could be pretty good against. Um, I can't remember the card. Um, Angraft Rampage, um, out of the red black deck, but I'm not necessarily sure that's a card they would bring in with you here, but. Yeah, I don't know. I Can't was... imagine they would. No. So, that's oh, interesting. It's a very cool deck. This definitely seems very up your alley. Yeah. I mean, anything where I get to make land drops and then my lands kind of do something to kill my opponent, that's, that's the life I'm trying to lead. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, well, let me share my legacy deck of the week. Uh, this is actually... Got 12th place in the challenge, I believe, on Saturday, the 27th. Um, this is a bug deck. It's like a bug control list um, by uh, 
Muffy 99. Um, really cool list, and I, I think this kind of attacks the metagame from a, a pretty strong perspective. Um, you've got a high number of Death Touchers in the deck. You've got um, copies of Baleful Strix and Ice Fang Quaddle. Um, so you're actually drawing cards while you're still um, being able to you know, block a lot of the creatures efficiently in this format, um, you know, namely Delver. Um, you also do have a copy of Plague Engineer in the main deck, um, but your big beater in terms in the creature department, at least, is Uro. So you're playing three copies of that. You also have one copy of Jace. You're not too Planeswalker heavy in this, in this version of the deck. But you have a really good suite of spells here, and especially the removal spells that I like. You know, I'm playing uh, copies of Fatal Push. You're playing copies of Abrupt Decay and Assassin's Trophy. And you also have that one of John the Lock, which I think is a super sweet card. Probably see, needs to see more play in, um, I think, Modern and Legacy. But a super powerful card, um, especially in a deck like this that's able to trade one for one officially and fill up your opponent's graveyard. So it's going to be able to counter or um, kill creatures later in the game. Um, you also are playing the Court of Cunning. Um, and if you haven't, if you don't remember that card, uh, Court of Cunning is one of the new cards that we got from uh, Commander Legends. Uh, it's one, a blue and a blue for an, an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you become the monarch. And at the beginning of your upkeep, um, any number of target players each mill two cards. If you're the monarch, each of those players mills ten cards instead. Uh, which in this deck seems really neat just because it does allow you to fill up your graveyard if you want to either find or cast your Uro. Um, also, you're playing one copy of Life in the Loom 2, so it actually does kind of allow you to draw three more effectively with your Life of the Loom if that comes up. Um, and I guess that, you know, in a lot of ways too, like, because you have all those Death Hut creatures, and you also have Uro, which is a being in, among its, you know, itself, um, it's pretty easy for you to become the Monarch and then maintain that Monarchy uh, throughout the rest of the game, which I think is really neat here. Uh, have you yeah. seen this deck um, around a lot? Uh, I wouldn't say I've seen it around a lot, but I have actually played against it. It looked pretty sweet. Uh, I think I lost to it the time I played against it. It was uh, definitely, regardless of when I lost, I definitely remember it being a really good match. Okay. Lots of lots of neat decision-making from both sides, but I mean, I think that this is actually a pretty well-constructed deck. So. Yeah, I think definitely so like the looks of it. Yeah, I mean, it's doing a lot... Kind of interested in a second Jace, personally. Yeah, I think a second Jace would be neat. Um, I do wonder if you need... I, like, I know Uro is a, it's obviously a great card, um, but I wonder if you could just cut down to two, because you can theoretically find it you know, pretty reliably between the Cantrips, the Court of Cunning, um, and even like things like Life and Loam Dredging, right? Like That's able to find your Uro's a little more reliably. I don't know if you need three, but obviously I know you do want to be able to find one um, sooner than later. So maybe three is the right number there. Um, but maybe you cut like a, you know, the plague engineer or something instead. Yeah, I'm not sure. I I think I, I like three though. I don't know. I think three is a solid number. Yeah, just trying to figure out how to get up the Jace. Like if you want to add a Jace, like I actually, with the, the three arrows, the three Court of Cunnings and the one Life in the Loom, like I think seven is a good number there for trying to, for that kind of facilitating your graveyard. And obviously I think your graveyard is going to fill up naturally, but those cards kind of accelerate it for you um, to make your arrows a little bit more effective. So 
I'm just not sure where you would try to fit in another um, another creature there, or another Jace there. I think I would cut the life from the loam, personally. Okay. Uh, I do think, it, I mean, I do think the loam is good in the stack, because, you know, milling over 10 cards means that you're always going to have things to pick up. But since it's not paired with something like Wasteland, oh yeah, not essential, I would say. Even if I do think it's good. Yeah, you, yeah, you're definitely right. I kind of missed that. I, the Wasteland is definitely one of those cards that I would like to be recurring. Um, you know, so, and I know we have seen land stacks before recurring that. We've seen them recurring. Um, I can't remember, actually remember what the card's called. Uh, the one with cumulative upkeep, um, where your opponent or you can't take damage. Um, Glacial Chasm. Glacial Chasm. So, and that's like another card uh, we've seen recurring. And we're not playing any cards like that, right? The only thing that we kind of get quote unquote value out of um, is ret- recurring fetch lands. Um, and, the, and the deck does play, I think, 10 fetch lands, uh, nine fetch lands actually. So that is worthwhile. And obviously, if you mill over your Mystic Sanctuary, that's something you want to be able to um, possibly play again too. But yeah, without something like Wasteland or a Ghost Quarter or a Glacial Chasm, it definitely does lose a little, a little bit of value there. It's really weird to me. Uh, I understand that this is a little a little bit more tap outy, but it's it's just so weird to me that there's not um like uh why can't I think of the name of the the blue cycling land or like a Zagos Triome. Oh yeah. This it's gonna drive me crazy that I can't think of the name of the blue cycling land. Oops, jeez. Um Yeah, my my brain keeps saying Flood of Strand. That's definitely not Flood of Strand. Uh yes. Secluded Glen is what I'm thinking of too. Secluded no, Step that's the, the blue black land. It it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Although <laughs> it, it it does matter, but you know we can pretend it doesn't matter. Yeah. But yeah, it's something like that would be really solid. And I this obviously it feels like a lifetime ago. It actually hasn't been that long ago. Um, but I'm so used to people playing Ren and Six and then playing the Cycling Lands. Uh, when that was a thing in Legacy. Um, and that interaction, you know, it seems really innocuous, but you gained so much advantage turn after turn after turn. Um, and obviously with Red, something like Red and Six, getting those cards back in your hand, you don't essentially need them. Like, you, you don't need an extra land, but an extra card, not too bad. And you have the mana because you keep returning lands that the extra blue or black or red that you're cycling each turn is not a big um, a big loss uh, for your mana production. Um and I, I guess in this deck, too, that would be a really good way to turn some of those cards into into actual value. Because, once again, lands have diminishing returns, I think, especially as you trans, transition into the late game with this deck. It's not like you have a, any kind of big fireball effect or anything like that. But um, drawing an extra Force of Will or drawing an extra Abrupt Decay or Assassin's Trophy later in the game definitely seems like a huge uh, win for you. Lonely Sandbar. Lonely Sandbar. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm glad. Jeez. Oh, I'd say the only, yeah, I was... I, the only one I play is the red one. I play that in Dredge, so that's the only one I can think of. I've cycled a lot of Lonely Sandbar, so it was really upsetting. I couldn't think of it. Um, yeah. I, I feel like I've used all of them. Okay, because let's see. White. Uh, I've played the white one in uh, Popper. I played that. In Definitely the, played the blue one in Modern and Legacy. Uh, the black one. Have I ever played the black one? I played the black one. I don't one think I've used that one. In a standard um, zombies deck. 
So this is not a good deck, but I did play that in a deck. Um, and the white and red one I played, I played in Astral Slide. Yeah, I played the red one in Popper, and then I've played the green one in Lands. Actually, I played the red one in Modern also. Modern? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, could you? I mean, I guess at the very least, you haven't actually played the Dredge deck, have you? No. No. That's that's kind of recently, at least that's where I've been playing that one the most. It's kind of weird, actually. I feel like I've played. You know, I haven't necessarily played a lot with every deck, but I I feel like I've played most decks. So now that you mention it, the fact that I haven't played Dredge, kind of surprising. Hmm. Yeah, and like especially like I obviously played a decent amount of Dredge. Um, our friend Alex. Um, plays a decent amount of dredge or you know was playing a lot of dredge when we were playing uh, in paper obviously our friend uh, Joe DeJoy uh, top into GP with dredge um, so I'm surprised that's not a deck that got onto your radar at some point yeah I don't know it just you know before dredge came I, I think this is going to sound so hipstery um, <laughs> I think dredge was just like too boring for me uh, before Dredge came out, there was uh, like the Ralph Levy Lone Prox deck. Yeah. I played that deck. I played the hell out of that deck. Um, and they're very similar. So Dredge is like better. just kind of better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it came out and I was like, no, this is stupid. Um, so, you know, I'm just a child who refuses to uh, to play the good one. I just want to stick with my hipstery Lone Prox. That's fair. You, you and your iced coffee and your skinny jeans and your your vegan bacon i don't know that's all i got um you know it man just so quick <laughs> quick quick rant about um hipster stuff i went to a there's a place in westchester called maze which i don't know if you've been there actually they opened uh during the pandemic like beginning of the pandemic uh pretty good stuff to do a really good brunch um i went to go get a blt they do not serve BLTs. I'm very upset. I think it's BLTs is reasonable. They have all the things on their menu. They just do not make BLTs. I think it's very hipstery. That is like the most minor complaint about anything <laughs> I've ever heard. I think you'll be fine without your BLT. Fine. Okay. Well, my, I, I feel like my rant about brunch was legitimate. I understand. Uh... <laughs> Is there, is there anything else you want to rant about before we get into the main part of the show here? Oh, I could go off about a lot of things, both magic and not magic related, but we don't need to spend all that time. Okay. Um, well, do you want to start talking about, um, we can go back to modern and start talking about um, what, what we should be doing in this format right now? Yeah. Okay. Now you can rant about modern. <laughs> all right. Well, let's rant about modern then. Um all right, so this format, uh, and for better or worse, I'll say it like that, um, breaks down to three decks, I think um, we kind of agreed with, that are the best things that you could be doing in this format. Um, and not that there aren't any other viable decks, not that there's room for iteration or um, innovation, but these are the three decks that are, you know, three spots at least, that are really defining the format. And really the top two were the big ones that we are concerned with and that you should be concerned with if you're entering any kind of modern tournament in the next couple weeks. Um, what's the first deck um, on your radar going into a modern event right now? Heliad Company. Classic. I'm sure we are all shocked. We have never <laughs> talked about this deck on this podcast. No. 
Well, Helio Company, too, has... And we were mentioning this before. Helio Company had this really weird transition where when the deck came out, people were kind of into it, but kind of not. Um, you know, you could have played uh, Four Color Omnath, which seems like a really sweet deck, and maybe you want to play Time Warp in that deck. Um, you know, Death Shadow was still a really bright spot in the format where people were playing with that and trying to figure out the best configuration of the red-black deck. Do I play um, my Soulscar Mage? Do I play my Bomat Courier? Do I actually need to be playing my Vrexian Mana Spells? And Helio Company just kind of slid in there and was just like, nope, I'm going to be the third best deck. I'm going to be the second best deck. I'm going to not be a good choice this weekend. I'm going to be the first best deck. And eventually, as the format went um, went along, especially after we got rid of um, Uro now, um, we now see that Helio Company has just emerged as the, you know, constantly being in the top four of the finals of these modern events um, recently. Um, I also think that it definitely did not help Heliad Company, that it was probably built wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, not not super wrong, but, uh, you know, people were playing with the uh, Eldamri's clones for so long. Yep. And I think people have largely moved away from that card, which I'm very thankful for. I was... <laughs> I think I was off that card after like one league personally. Um, yeah. I, I get it. Tutors are strong, but I, I think people overrate tutors. Like modern is such a proactive format that you just want to be committing things to the board. Um, so, you know, even if you are committing like a B rather than an A, committing like a B over two turns is going to get you more than doing nothing for a turn and then committing an A more often than not. Yeah. And Another kind of consideration for the Eldamri's Call, I think part of the reason why people were trying to play in this version is because the analog to it was previously the uh, Devoted Druid Vizier decks, which, if you kind of look at the acceleration in those decks, it, it really kind of operates on a different axis. Um, in those decks, right, we really wanted to be playing our um, Vizier on two, right? Or, or Vizier on two. Our Vizier on turn three after we played our Devoted Druid on turn two. Um, but if you play your Devoted Druid on two, you have four mana. You can play, pay two mana for a Eldamri's Call and pay another two mana to get to play your Vizier and suddenly you have infinite mana. Totally fine. In this deck, though, we're putting so much emphasis on going uh, one drop accelerant, whether that's your um, a mana dork. Um, obviously, we've been playing a lot of Arborel. Uh, we have obviously been playing Utopia Sprawl, but now some of the newer versions have been playing either Noble Hierarch or Birds of Paradise. Um, but there's so much emphasis in this deck on going one drop into three drop that an Eldamri's Call doesn't really ever match up appropriately in the deck. Like, it doesn't actually have a turn where you can actually play it and play another spell until you really get to turn four, assuming your Accelerant survives that long. Yeah. So, yeah. Also holding this deck back was people's refusal to, to click through it online, too. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, the um, Halo, I mean, and I guess props where props are due. I think um, recently the Magic Online has gotten a lot easier on playing decks like this. Uh, it's just easier to yield through and, and go through. Um, but I think most people at this point understand if I'm playing my red aggressive deck, once my opponent has infinite mana, we're, we're done here one way or the other, which I think is, is better for everybody. Oh, yeah, definitely a huge net positive when people just go, okay, I cannot beat that um, and move on. Like, I mean, I'll sit there and I'll gain over 600 life. Like, 
I've got no life. It's Oops. fine. Like, I'm just going to sit here and pet my dogs with one hand and click with the other. But, you know, yeah. we, we can both be moving on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, like, once again, like, I think we're at the point, too, especially the competent um, pilots who are playing this deck reliably and, you know, constantly, you can gain a couple hundred life in two minutes and still have plenty of time to actually play a, a, a full game if you need to. Um, so I think trying to... People who are trying to game the system there and get that extra edge, I think that most people have thankfully gotten off that ship. And I will say, this is like, we are not saying anything bad about the people who will sit there and make you click it out, because you are not wrong. Like, you are well within your rights. We get it. Uh, And I I especially get it for something like a PTQ. But like, and like a lead, there's no stakes. I like, I just, I don't think it's worth your time. Maybe it is. I don't know your life. I don't know what your time is worth. But. All right. Well, so Hilly Company is definitely number one. And I think that's, I think most people would agree that's the number one uh, choice in modern right now, number one deck in modern right now. Uh, what's the number two deck in modern then? John Death Shadow. And we've talked about this, this deck a little bit in past weeks too. Um, there are obviously different versions of these Death Shadow decks. Um, Grixis has actually been making a little bit of a comeback, which is um, kind of neat. I always like seeing Grixis. Um, Red Black has been kind of the de facto uh, for the past couple of weeks before that. Uh, what's making Jund uh, enemy number two right now? Uh, Daniel Gochol played it in the mocks, and everybody knows that Daniel Gochol is a genius, and you should just play what he plays. So is it okay? Maybe that's not the real answer. I'll just say, like, is it, is it just because what? the one person did well with it? I mean, I do think that actually had a huge effect on it. Um, for those who aren't really super familiar with Daniel Goldschnell, he's kind of like and in, just insanely good at magic in general. Um, and you know, he he did play it in that event and showcased how well it did. I see him in second, I believe. Yeah. Um, and you know he he put a lot of testing in to to figure his deck out uh and now other people have kind of you know also started picking it up i i don't think it would have caught on nearly as much as it did if it weren't for him but that's not to take away from what the deck actually does Uh, i've talked about this before i think one of the best things you can be doing in magic is being proactive I think that gives you a huge advantage. Uh, you kind of want to put your opponents on the back foot and make it so that they are, like, if they stumble, they'll lose. And they are more inclined to make mistakes because they have to react to you rather than implementing what they want to be doing. I, so I think that is kind of the best place to be doing. Uh, John Death Shadow is great at doing that. It is very aggressive. It's got creatures that are... Like, they're cheap, but they are big. So, like, they put such a fast clock on the on the game. And having red and black disruption is really good. Having stuff like Thoughtseize, Inquisition, Fatal Push. Everybody obviously knows those cards are great. So having something this slow to the ground, so efficient, is really good. But this deck can also kind of play the late game with Hex Shrinker and Loris. So it does actually have really good staying power. And... Um, it's got a reasonable matchup against the Heliod decks. Uh, from what I'm hearing, it's close to 50-50. Uh, I think we've had numbers indicating 
that I think John was actually slightly favored in the numbers we've seen, but you know, limited sample size. So you have to take everything with a grain of salt. But I would say those are really the reasons that that this is in second place, but still a little bit tongue in cheek. I'm gonna just blame it on Daniel. Yeah, I think it's fair. Yeah, I think something else I kind of did this deck a really big favor is that people were playing the red-black shadow list, which I think is still a great deck. I think this is one of those decks that uh, when we as we transition out of Pandemic Magic, whenever that is, right, I think the red-black shadow list and the gem shadow list will still both be really great decks to be playing. Um, the big issue, though, I think with the red-black shadow list and really the boon towards Jun shadow is that the best deck in the format is just happen, happening to run three to four copies of a main deck pro-black, pro-red spell, right? So having access to green creatures that can actually attack through them uh, in your main deck, I think, is a huge boon. And obviously, Tarmac Wave and Hexdrink are not bad creatures anyways. Um, if that's an additional bonus to be playing this deck is you know having a better matchup versus the best deck in the format, I, I think that's going to push you over the edge in a lot of spots. Hexdrinker actually does seem kind of great and modern, thinking about it. I have not really played with or against it in this format. And also, I feel like the decks I play often probably would not care about Hexdrinker, but just in general, thinking about how it lines up against the format, Hexdrinker actually does seem pretty good. If you can level it up, it's basically impossible to deal with. Yeah, and I think a lot of the, the best removal in the format is our instance, right? So... Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, not losing the pass, Fatal Push, Lightning Bolt, Dismember. Like, we don't really have Sorcery Speed removal other than Supreme Verdict. Yeah, it's like Verdict, Angrath Rampage, I guess. Like, that's the stuff you're kind of um, have to play against, and, you know, Hextreme does not care, so. And yeah. like I see, I've seen it get bounced a lot by Teferi and Jace, but those cards are, you know, they're played in modern, but not in the same numbers. Um, and the other thing too that, and I think this is kind of an underrated bonus about this card, is that when you start, go from level two to level three, there's a big incentive to use your fatal push, right, to get rid of the text drinker. Because once that third uh, level trigger resolves, you're not going to be able to uh, kill it with that spell ever again. So when you do get to that point, um, people really do want to get that off the board. But that's going to open up the door for your Death Shadow or your Scourge of the Sky Clays, your Tarmogoyf, which is probably a bigger threat long-term in that game. Um, but your opponent needs to get rid of the Hextrick or that, that, um, that pressure to get that creature off the board that um, opens up the door for other better creatures in your deck too, which I think is really neat. This is only half on topic, but I just want to say I really like the art on Hextrinker. The the art is very good. Um, it's that Jonah Beth, I believe. Um, yeah, it is very good art. Well, yeah, I think I just, Matt, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say I, I just like to appreciate the art on Magic cards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was actually looking the um, Scourge of the Skyclaves is the art that I actually really like too. I, I picked up a playset. I think I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I picked up uh, Red Black Shadow um, in Modern. I picked up it in paper at least. So I have the Scourge of the Skyclaves, and when I had bought the cards, I was just like, I just want to get my playset, I want to get them now. 
Um, and I actually got to like sit down and appreciate the art when I, they came in. I was like, oh, this is beautiful. Oh, gosh. So I was like trying to see how much it would be for like the original piece and all that. And obviously it was like, way above my uh, my price range. But uh, it is a very, very beautiful art piece. Owning owning original magic art would be pretty cool. Um, it's definitely not anything I'm planning to do within the foreseeable future. But it would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lot of really beautiful art that they have there. And once again, the past couple of years has been, I think, better and better. Um, and we're, I think we're getting way, way off topic. Uh, we have to come back eventually and talk about the um, Mystical Archive cards. Because um, I do want to talk about those at some point. But, yeah, the art is, is really good on a lot of these cards recently. Um, okay, so we talked about the top two decks in the format. Um, the third, we're kind of split on um, really what is the best third deck and i i think there's such a big distinction between number one and number number one and number two in the rest of the format that i feel like it's kind of debatable what, what the third best deck is um what what are the two choices you think there are i'm gonna level with you i'm not split, You're not split? <laughs> i'm split i don't know so what do you think the third best so, deck in the format is i think the third best deck in the format is amulet i will admit i am biased but also, my bias doesn't matter because I'm right. <laughs> oh, okay, cool, good. I wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just got to clarify these things. So what makes uh, Amulet the third best deck in the format to you? I mean, have you seen the deck in action? It's really good. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that it's <laughs> the evidence we're putting forth to our viewers. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> I don't know what you want from me, man. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, so... In all seriousness, uh, I do think Amulet is very good. Um, it's very fast, uh, which is, again, something I'm a big fan of. Regularly, you can have turn three kills. It's much more resilient than it used to be. It's much more streamlined than it used to be. Uh, obviously, it's slightly less powerful than it was. Losing Field of the Dead was a huge hit, but it still has Dryad, which kind of, you know, still turbocharged the deck from where it was i think enough people are working on the deck right now that we've actually come to a really solid configuration uh and like in the past there wasn't that many minds working on it and there some of the cards haven't been printed yet so even though the deck has been good for ages it, it was kind of always hard to know like what exactly you wanted the build to look like and you know if you are if you really know your stuff, you're still probably going to make minor tweaks here and there from week to week. But, you know, I think we've really hammered down where we want to be. And actually, I should clarify, not necessarily from week to week right now, because the metagame has been pretty stagnant. But assuming you were expecting different metagames from week to week, you would still change things up. But uh, so the deck is really fast. It's really powerful. Um it can kind of ignore what a lot of people are doing, which is really big uh, because a lot of times your opponent will be on the other side doing whatever, but just, you know, turn three, you're like, here's a primeval Titan attack. You put 18 damage on the stack with my Valica triggers. So just, you kind of get to invalidate a lot of what your opponents are doing. You get to go over them a lot of times and it doesn't line up terribly against the top two decks, which is huge. Um, I will say Heliod is still favored versus Amulet. At least that is my current belief. I think most Amulet players would agree with me. 
but I don't think it's like this huge, huge gap because uh, Amulet can't deal with infinite life very well. People have figured out ways to deal with it with jumping through hoops with Emrakul, which is this whole big ordeal. Um, but Amulet is just, in general, it's uh, it can kill faster than the Heliad deck. The only issue is it doesn't have great disruption for what that deck is doing. Uh, Amulet is also, you know, it's reasonable against John Shadow. I would argue that matchup is ever so slightly favorable for for Amulet. Um, and then it lines up kind of well against what I would say is the fourth best deck in Prowess. That matchup is quite good for Amulet. Uh, over time, the Prowess decks have kind of dropped the cards they have that are good against Amulet. But I will say, overall, Amulet is not as good at dealing with uh, the random decks in the format as, say, Heliod or Jund. Um, Amulet is not good against combo decks in particular, whereas like the Jund Shadow deck and the Heliod deck both kind of have more game against those combo decks. They have better sideboard cards for them and also better main deck interaction through uh, Ranger Captain of Eos and the Heliod decks and like Thoughtseize season Inquisition and the John Shadow decks. So, so and you and I are kind of flip-flopped on this. So I'm, I'm kind of in the boat where I think Amulet's probably number four and is it Bliss that's probably number three? Um, I mean, it's okay to be wrong, Billy. Of course. Yeah, thank you. Um, I do think the, where, where we're talking about in the, in the metagame, I do think the Heliod deck, obviously, with Infinite Life, and this is a big thing, too. Um, I, I think there were some decks that were were in a good spot because they could win through Infinite Life. And Amulet, obviously, can jump through hoops and do it. Um, is it Blitz? Cannot. Right? There's no, there's really no way around that. If they get Infinite Life, the game is just going to end. Um, but I do think that this deck can put enough pressure on the opponent where they can't just combo off. Um, they, if they set up appropriately, obviously they can just go kind of around it, um, setting up some kind of um, combo with um, Spike Feeder, Heliod, and um, the Oriok Champion. So they have that extra trigger um, if they need it. But in for the most part, you can with the Ithid Blitz decks, and I think with the the every variation of the of the Red Aggro decks, um, you do have enough interaction where you can tag that spike feeder so they can't combo off or you can um you know clear off you know their mana dork so they can't accelerate into the faster heliod things like that uh i do think this deck actually has some pretty solid matchups even though once again that infinite life is the death knell there so this is kind of the deck and just kind of in the random nonsense alert right um amulet does have issues with that uh is it blitz that's just going to kill you dead so if you don't have a plan that's going to interact profitably and quickly um, we, you can just get ran over by the, the Blitz deck, which is another reason I think it, it might be the third instead of the fourth. I mean, I I know you said that you think this deck is fast enough that it can kind of uh, put Heliod on the back burner, but I still think Heliod is a, a very heavy favorite in this matchup. I especially think as the Heliod decks have kind of improved over time, the matchup has only gotten better. Uh, people playing multiple Oriac champions in the main deck, I think is huge. Mm-hmm. I think that alone puts uh, Heliad as the favorite. And, you know, before when they were taking turns off to cast Eladomri's call, I think that was like 
a huge link in this matchup, mm -hmm. but now that they're actually just committing to the board and playing like Skyclave apparitions in the main deck is really, really good. Like Skyclave is insane against the prowess deck. It obviously doesn't hit Stormwing Entity, even though Stormwing Entity costs uh, two more often than not, so really wish it would. But I just think that the Heliod deck is uh, a very, very heavy favorite. Yeah, I, I mean, I do agree that this deck is favorite against most other things. Hmm. I don't know how its strong shadow matchup is. I don't know if you have experience with that. It's, it plays out a lot of ways, um, and I think all the Red Prowess decks and all the Shadow decks kind of play out the same way. If you can line it up appropriately, you're fine. Um, the issue you kind of run into is that you set them up, you give them too much time, um, or you make their Death Shadow too big too early, and you get ran over like that. Um, there's a lot of finessing to the matchup where there's the situation where you can attack them for 6 and you just hold back because you next turn you can attack them for 14, um, and you'd rather just attack them one time and leave them at a low life total, and that's keeping, um, you know, a Tarmogoyf off about a well, making them play a Tarmogoyf instead of being able to play a, um, you know, two Death Shadows. And that's really the difference in the matchup there. Um, it, it's just a big dance, and I think the more you play it, it definitely gets a little bit easier. Um, and some of the versions, um, the version we're looking at here actually got third place in the um, challenge on Sunday. Um, they're playing copy of the Vapor Snag now, which is also really, really huge. Um, just because it does punish people playing those, you know, quote-unquote expensive two-mana spells. Um, you get a lot more leverage out of your mana in this deck. Uh, we were playing so many one-drops here. The Vapor Snags get a lot more brutal. Um, and especially, once again, versus those decks, getting rid of a blocker uh, as big as a Tarmogoyf or something like that and being able to sneak in with um, three one-drops is, is massive. So I, I think the matchup is is good and once again from my perspective i've played a lot of um red aggressive decks so this might be a little skewed from my perspective um but i do think you're kind of advantaged in those kind of matchups um they they're hoping to kind of one for one you across the board till you run out of steam if you play it right they can't do that yeah i will say uh the first time i had somebody cast vapor snag against me out of blue red a couple weeks ago I was livid. <laughs> I, I mean, I won the next turn anyway, so it didn't matter. But, okay. like, I was very taken aback. Vapor Snag's a hell of a card. It's really good. I cast my Primeval Titan. I gave it haste. I was getting all excited, and then it was in my hand. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know what happened. You're, like, going through the game log. You're like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm supposed to win. <laughs> um, yeah, the... Vapor, I mean, Vapor Snag obviously is a card I've played in Legacy, right? Just being able to um, bounce Merit Lages and things like that. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big Vapor Snag guy. But. Yeah, I mean, I, I've also cast a lot of Vapor Snag. I've had a lot of Vapor Snag cast against me. Turns out I play a lot of big monsters. Mm -hmm. You do. Merit Lage, Primeval Titan. The first step is admitting it, though, and I'm proud of you for, for doing it. I mean, I guess those are really the only two. Yeah, but you cast them a lot. Well, technically, I don't cast Merit Lage. It just kind of appears. Sure. Okay. You're, you're right. Yeah. Like, I have no control over it. I'm just <laughs> minding my own business. And then yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, there's a 2020 flying indestructible avatar in play. Like, <laughs> I'm just as surprised as you are. I mean, 
I don't know how it got there. Like, I can take the blame for the primeval titan. Yeah. Uh, that's that's on me. I tutor for it a lot, and then I cast it a lot. Yeah. But Marilage just shows up. Uh, okay, so <laughs> we we identified, you know, I guess really four of the best decks in this format, right? Uh, Heliod Company, Jundal Shadow, Amulet, and Is It Blitz. So walking into an event, right, how am I supposed to be attacking this modern format? Yeah, so, I mean, that's a really good question, and that's uh, something I want to take a good look at. Obviously, you know, these are the decks that you can expect to see, and these, realistically, these probably are the decks people should be playing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we've already talked about hipsters. Not everybody wants to play these decks. Yeah. Um, So, uh, I guess, like, the way I would want to look at it is, like, what do you think the weaknesses of these decks are? And then try to play something that can capitalize on that. So, like for Heliod, uh, the deck is obviously great, um, but it's very reliant on its creatures. Mm. And so I guess, like, the way I would want to look at this is, what do I have that, like, what can I play that kind of attacks their core strategy, kind of breaks up the creature plan, or what is something that doesn't care about infinite life? So, yeah. like, the the first... Oh, sorry, go no, ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, like, the first act that comes to mind uh, as something that doesn't care about infinite life is uh, Infect. Yeah, I think Infect is, you know, when we start comparing it to Helia Company 2, I think Helia Company does have, obviously, the Skyclad Apparitions, which has jumped up to four, um, a four of in a lot of the builds I've seen. Um and they do have Walking Ballista, which I think a lot of decks have gone up to two. But I think Infect has a, such a great advantage of being able to protect their threats, uh, especially for such low cost that three mana or being able to use your Walking Ballista for two mana to try to deal one damage to a creature may not actually be good enough. Um, but then, obviously, there's the question of how does that line up against the other top decks? Mm. Probably not a great matchup into the Death Shadow deck. Uh, it's pretty good against Amulet, mm. uh, but also pretty weak into Prowess. So, yeah, you do not want to play um, your one one into the Lava Dark deck, unfortunately. Yeah, turns out Lava Dark Tribal good against one ones, mm-hmm. um, but you know, in fact, is something that. One could consider. Mm-hmm. Um, um, have you thought about playing like a Tron deck? I know that's one of those things. Uh, playing the other <laughs> version of the, of the green white combo decks, right? You would gain infinite life, and they would play Karn Liberated, restart the game, and suddenly you have nothing. But <laughs> so now infinite life doesn't matter. Um, how's that as a consideration for you? Uh, first off, I'm going to ask you not to insult me by insinuating that I might be a Tron player. <laughs> I'm not trying to defend you. I'm just asking. It's a, it's a it's a good question. Just trying to make sure we give our our Tron viewers some some love too. No, no, it it is a reasonable question, and I actually have registered Tron lands a fair number of times in both the modern and legacy format, actually. But uh, I do think Tron is kind of a reasonable 
reasonable choice against the Heliod deck. You're you're right. Like they don't care about the infinite life. I've definitely, I've definitely gone off and then just lost to my opponent playing Karn. <laughs> and having something like Ozone, I think is also really good. Mm. Um, my hesitancy with Tron is how it lines up against Shadow and Prowess. Uh, you know, this. I mean, this is really. I think one of the issues and one of the reasons that Heliod keeps staying at the top of the metagame is I feel like all the decks that are good against it aren't great against the rest of what the format is doing. Mm. But if you are looking to attack specifically Heliod, Tron does seem reasonable. Uh, you could also play Eldrazi Tron. Yeah, I think that actually and, got first place in the, um, the challenge on Saturday too. I was going to say, Eldrazi Tron typically doesn't play Karn Liberated, but they have in the past, and you could work, uh, I'm sure you could work it back in. I'm not sure how this deck lines up against Shadow and Prowess, uh, but I can imagine Chalice of Void being very good against both of those strategies, um, and it's likely better. The answer also could be somewhere in the middle. Um, having Expedition Map to find stuff like Blast Zone also seems really insane against Shadow because mm. it kills their Hex Shrinkers and their Death Shadows. And, you know, it's not that difficult to put it on two so it kills Scourge or Tarmogoyf instead. Mm. Um, but having, like, Ugin, the Ineffable, as a, another source of removal, uh, I could definitely see something like that lining up. Yeah, this, this deck definitely seems... Like it would be a good choice, and it, it in a lot of ways kind of reminds me. And this, uh, just bear with me here for a second. Um, it kind of reminds me of like the best version of like the Jun deck in this format, uh, where it's not playing you know the Lilianas and the Abrupt Decays and stuff like that, um, but you do have at least enough interactive, permanent based things where your opponent has to deal with them not just for the one turn. Uh, something like Thought Not Seer, they can cast on you know turn two or turn three um, pretty easily. And then you still have to deal with a 4-4, uh, which I think is pretty good here. Yeah. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but um, Matter Reshaper actually seems kind of decent, too. If people are... Like, Matter Reshaper is not a terrific card. And, you know, when your opponent... We all know the joke. Like, your opponent uh, <laughs> plays their three Tron lands, and then they play a Matter Reshaper, and you just kind of sigh in relief. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it is... A solid blocker um, against these really aggressive strategies that will help, you know, bridge the Tron player into their threats that can very easily take over these games. You have room for dismembers. All this stuff seems really good right now, so I can see this being a player. Yeah, for sure. Hate to admit it, but <laughs> yeah. Well, even having um, Car the Great Creator, like I still do think that having access to just a, such a wide variety of sideboard cards is such a huge benefit. Um, you know, we're talking about the Junda Shadow list that, you know, has Lurus and has um, Tomard Wife. You, you could just go get your own uh, Torment script. Um, or you can get your Graft Digger's Cage. Um, or you can get your Relic of Progenitus. Um, these decks that try to grind you out over, over time, it could be something like Amulet. Um, you could try to knock out down the lands one by one with Liquid Metal Coating. Um, you can just cast Ensnaring Bridge so they can't actually attack with their Titans ever. Um, like, there's a lot of different ways that you can be taking over games here. Um, and something like, I think Ulamog is always a card that, worst case scenario, casting Ulamog is not the worst thing that you could be doing. 
Um, so, you know, I, I do think there's a lot of a lot of benefits to this deck. And, I, and just a note, you can't get uh, Ulamog off of Karn the Great Curator. Um, but I do think that Ulamog is just one of those cards that huge in some matchups. Um, but also, when you start talking about things like, you know, the Blue Black Mill deck, for example, kind of a random off-the-wall deck, um, being able to... Oh, no, I'm thinking of the wrong, the wrong Ulamog. I'm thinking of the infinite uh, Gaia, actually. What's the Ulamog doing here? Right? <laughs> now I'm confused. Why are we playing Ulamog? What do you mean? Have you... Have you ever resolved an Ulamog? Yeah, I played... <laughs> I played, uh... That's like in standard for a long, long time. That card ends games. Yeah, that's true. You were very big <laughs> on that deck. It was. Um, I was I was actually ahead of the curve on that one, thanks to uh, Nick Cummings. Uh, Ulamog just ends games. So, like, it's really good against uh, grindy decks or and or just control decks. Okay. Just coming down, eating things, demanding an immediate answer. Like... Okay. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. I don't know if you know that. Like, you should know that, but... Yeah. I, I, I have cast my fair share of Ulamogs. Both fairly and unfairly. Um, but you mentioned Mill, which is actually the next deck I wanted to talk about. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess that's a really good way so to get around Infinite Life. It is a great way to get around <laughs> Infinite Life. In addition to that, um, just sometimes milling your opponent for 10 and then surgicaling like their Heliod just means that their deck is kind of really way less functional than it would be otherwise. So I actually, I tried some mill before. I I don't even remember what the event was. I feel like we've had a lot of premier level events lately. There's been a ton, yeah. Was, I think it might have been, I think it was a modern PTQ, but it might have been a, a showcase challenge. I don't know, but I I put some effort into playing Mill because uh, I can say I have lost. I think I'm like one in X against Mill from the Heliad side, and maybe like two in X, if even that, against Mill as Amulet. <laughs> mm. uh, so you know, figured if you can't beat him, join him. Sure. Uh, and I I think Mill is in a very underrated archetype. I think Mill has typically been an underrated archetype in modern uh, which is weird because it was like it was kind of everywhere for like a hot second and then it died down mm-hmm. but uh mill is a great way to get around the infinite life as we said i i do think the deck is not quite constructed correctly but it's it's very good um and in terms of the aggro decks the the game one matchup is not great but I, I do think uh, the cyborg cards you have access to are really good. Uh, the Crypt Incursion, for those who aren't familiar, it's two and a black for an instant. You exile all creature cards from target player's graveyard. You gain three life for each card exiled this way. Uh, so that card does a lot of work. And the other one, uh, Profane Memento, mm-hmm. for those who aren't familiar with, with this one, it's a, just a one mana artifact. Whenever a creature card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, you gain one life. Um, so when I tried out Mill, I played four of those in my sideboard, and I had four Crypt Incursions in my 75. And I'll be honest, I think I lost every game one against the red decks I ran into, but I won every match against the red decks I played. So I do think that's really fixable. I 
don't know how your matchup against Shadow is. I imagine it is uh, slightly worse, actually, than your mono red matchup. Although I could be wrong. It, it depends on what uh, other just hand because. Is. Um, like if they yeah. do Let's... have the discard spells and can just kill your crabs, then I think it's kind of rough. But if you um, can play a game where they are, their goal is to kill your creatures and you're just not giving them creatures to kill and they don't have the discard spells, it's it's not hard. That's fair. Uh, it just seems to me like the creatures in Shadow would be big enough that they can take over the game. Like mm-hmm. with, with the mono red deck, one of the things is whenever they use their spells to kind of police the board, uh, then their creatures are kind of lackluster because late game, you just don't have the, the flurry of spells. So that was my thought process. Yeah. Um, I think I think Mill is truly a, a very good choice. I think it's way better than people give it credit for. You kind of get to play this controlling game. Um, the issue I ran into with the deck is it was very difficult to balance the right number of lands I lost a lot of games to kind of drawing too many lands or not enough lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, more often, not drawing enough lands to really be able to function. Uh, it seems like the deck needs some way to either filter or accrue slightly more card advantage than it's getting. Um, and also, the Field of Ruins were really bad for me. And uh, the Field of Ruins actually cost me a lot of games. Uh, just like not and the reason the deck is playing Field of Ruin, what was that? Were they just like not allowing you to mana fix? Was that the issue? Yes. So like a lot of hands I would have would be like Basic Island um, and Field of Ruin. And that would be enough mana to function, but your mana requirements in this deck are so high. Uh, your spells are very low to the ground. They all cost one or two mana other than Crypt Incursion and the ones that are cheapened by other effects. But the issue is they're very uh, color intensive. Mm-hmm. So there would be a lot of games where I wouldn't be able to double spell because I would have blue and colorless and I needed like blue and black. Um, and that cost me like a lot of matches. Uh, the Field of Ruins are good because they work uh, in conjunction with your Archive Trap, of course. But I'm not sure that it's worth it. Um, part of me thinks if you just up the land count, you fix that. But I also tended to lose the games where I drew too many lands. So I really think maybe the deck should go down to two copies of Field of Ruin or maybe no copies of Field of Ruin, which that that seems risky. But I mean, most decks are fetching on their own anyways. But when you play against savvy players, then they often try not to fetch if they can help it. So, so it is kind of this balancing act. I'm really not sure where the numbers should be I don't think four Field of Ruin is right, but I also probably have not played as much Mill as you know the people who have decided that was right. Mm-hmm. So just in terms of, because I do like the idea of milling them out. I think that's a really good plan on trying to get around the idea of um, infinite life. Um, have you tried playing Inverter by any chance? I know uh, Blue Black Inverter has been getting a little bit of traction in modern um, and once again, I think the big thing, the fact that it does get around that infinite life from Helia Company, I think is a huge plus. Um, so what, what are your thoughts on that deck? Uh, I have not played with Inverter. Okay. Um, and I'm going to preface this with saying, I actually really want this deck to be good. I bought the deck for Pioneer. Mm-hmm. You know, 
that format that everyone knows and loves and plays so much of. Um, and I own a chunk of this deck in foil, despite typically not buying foil. So like, uh, notably my Jaces are foil. So I really want this deck to be good um, so that I can sell my Jaces for a lot of money. <laughs> that being said, I don't think it is good. Okay. The first person I saw 5-0 with it recently was Dom Harvey, who posted his list and immediately followed up with, this deck isn't good. Um, I saw Canister playing a lot of it, and I was thinking, oh, if Canister is actually sticking with it for more than a day or two, there's probably something there. Mm. Uh, but Canister would post like, well, this deck is not good. I'm just playing it for fun. Oh, okay. So I, um, after seeing everyone who was playing with it say that the deck wasn't good, I kind of just gave up <laughs> a little bit. Didn't actually put in the time to trying it myself. Uh, I've played against it here and there, and it has not seemed impressive to me. Yeah, it seems like a deck. I don't know. Have you? Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna ask. Have you really played with or against it? No, I I haven't personally. Um, I have watched plenty of matches, and you're right. Like you know, Cancer plays plays the matches, and you know they do win the matches that I, I don't think you would normally be able to win with another deck, which I think is really neat. Um, I think having access to Shelldock Isle in a deck that's not essentially mill, I think is actually really good too. Um, it allows you to win it instant speed in a lot of situations, which I think is very highly underrated. The The one game I watched, I think it was actually um, Doomweight playing against this deck. Um, but essentially it was, uh, you have nothing on the board, you've got no cards in your library, so you're going to have something on your Shelldock Isle or you're going to die. And they activate uh, Shelldock Isle to um, Thoth's Oracle, and he's like, oh, I, I'm dead, cool. Um, so I do think there is something here. Um, I looking at this deck, and I'm, we're looking at um, a list that went five zero in a um, in a league um, right now on the screen. Um, but you know, you're playing four copies of Oracle um, Thassa's Oracle, four copies of Inverter of Truth, three copies of uh, Jace Wheeler Mysteries. I think this deck is supposed to be a control deck, and this deck is kind of shaped up like that. Like they are playing copies of Fatal Push, Inquisition, um, Serum Visions, Thoughtseize, a couple of Remands, and um, Archmage's Charm. But they're also playing four copies of Relic Progenitus, um, which is obviously to be setting up your graveyard, right? Because you don't have access to the uh, Dig Through Times that you did in Pioneer, I guess do in Pioneer, because um, that card's still legal there for some reason. Um, so you have to set, set up your deck a little differently. And I, I do think the Relics obviously do have merit in some metagames, right? If we're talking about, you know, a metagame where Dredge is very popular, or Living End is very good, uh, you know, something that does happen you know, periodically, I do think this is the way of doing it. I just think the deck needs to be constructed differently to be competitive in this metagame um, where we have, you know, these you know, three or four top decks here. All right, so that's three decks that have a pretty good matchup going into it um, against the Helix Company deck, at least. Um, are there any other ones you can think about that are actually pretty good against um, the Greenway Company decks? Uh, so the last one that comes to mind is the Green Black Yogg Boss deck. That's a good matchup. Yeah, so uh, Casey Lancaster has been playing a lot of it mm -hmm. and has been tweeting about it being a good matchup. Um, I think a couple other people have picked it up and had similar results. Uh, I picked it up and immediately lost every match, and it was <laughs> uh, 
So, you know. Yeah. I I'm kind of trusting what he's saying on this. Mm-hmm. Um I don't I don't know what it is with me in that deck. I've picked it up before and it I I can't seem to win with it and I seem to uh typically beat it. So uh, I don't know. Like I, I understand the deck works. Like whenever I watch um there's a couple of people who have streamed it. Uh Tom Ross used to stream it a lot. Uh Aaron Barrett used to stream it a lot before she got her new job. And they they seem to win with it all the time. Uh and it always looks really impressive whenever they play it. But whenever I'm involved in matches, it's significantly less impressive. Yeah. Um but from from what I am told, that is a good matchup. Um the the Arkmoth deck has the ability to kill all the creatures in Heliod and mm-hmm. uh, its combo deals infinite damage, so it can beat the infinite life, and it can kill all the creatures before it uh, does the infinite damage. So really, if they both do their thing, it does work out in Yawgmoth's favor. Okay. And, and I think the deck is also, it's just pretty resilient to spot removal. Um, you have a lot of tutoring between the Eldritch Evolutions and the Court of Callings, and then if your Yawgmoth is out and they tar- try to target anything else, like with their Skyclave Apparitions, you can obviously sack it in response, get a little bit of value. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's. I, I guess, it, I don't know why, it, but the, the idea of actually killing the creatures out of Heliod and then trying to kill them with an infinite combo of some kind didn't really occur to me. Um, but that does make a lot of sense why that, that would be a good matchup. Yeah, every... <laughs> Every time I'm playing and Yawgmoth gets their combo online, I feel like I'm a little bit distracted. Like, I'm watching the game, and then, like, I get up to go get water or something, and I come back, and my whole board's gone, and I'm just like, what happened? Yeah, like, there's, like, Yawgmoth, Hapatra, Snake Token, <laughs> and, like, um, Gerald Messenger, and you're like, am I dying? I, yeah, I'm <laughs> dying. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, the deck is really cool. Uh, definitely, definitely an innovative piece of deck building right there it's very different than all the things in the format yeah and i actually i, I think i mentioned this on the show before but i i built a hapatra edh deck and I, I started like adding in these like different like random cards to the deck and i was like i eventually got to a point i'm like oh it's just the green one it's the, the uh yogmal deck like I, I have a yogmal i have a hapatra i've got all these undying creatures um but the, the synergies you get from that even though they do feel a little I don't want to say off power level for the format. Um, the actual interactions in the deck are just so powerful that even though they do feel a little silly going from a place in the format where I've been casting, uh, you know, cryptic commands and I've been casting, um, you know, bedlam revelers, like it's a different type of the format, uh, I guess slice of the format, but it's still a very powerful one. Just kind of some underutilized cards. Okay. All right, so I guess that four different decks to attack um, Helio Company. I think that's really solid. Um, so, what about um, Genda Shadow? Like, are there any any decks in particular that you think are really well positioned against that deck? Outside of Helio oh man, Company, is, obviously. <laughs> I was gonna say, is it cheating if I say Helio? Uh, although, again, the numbers indicate that might not be the case. Mm-hmm. Um. Against Jund, I'm actually trying to think uh, what the best way to attack it is. You you want something that can make it to the late game. I feel like... Um, I'm not sure. I, I would imagine some kind of blue-white control deck would actually be pretty good against Jund. 
but that's that's just me thinking i don't actually have any any proof to back that up but it seems like having access like path maybe oust or like one thin ice or something and to supreme verdict would really be good there mm-hmm. um even something like teferi doesn't seem terrible to keep you from getting humor battle raged out of the game uh you aren't relying on creatures so their fatal pushes and lightning bolts wouldn't be doing as much uh, and then you could kind of bridge the game into planeswalkers that seems strong to me yeah like, i think eldrathi tron i think is it would be a good matchup i think that's the deck we talked about before um kind of lining up well because i mean you are dealing with um some pretty beefy creatures on this side but you also have beefy creatures on the other side um your things like lightning bolt don't line up particularly well versus that deck or something like reality smasher or thought not fear um so i can see that being pretty solid um the control route i definitely could imagine being pretty solid as well um in this deck i guess for all of its benefits and all the things that it does have going for it. Gender Shadow is not filled with a bunch of two-for-ones. Um, obviously, Lurus is a big um, engine that this deck has now. Um, you do get some card advantage off of Grim Lava Mancer, um, and obviously double blocking um, against you know Scourge or something like that is, is card advantage as well, but it's a lot of one-for-ones um, a lot of times here at, at, at best. So I, I could imagine something like Blue Way Control that's able to, you know, get some two-for-ones, three-for-ones, um, or something like Grixis um, Control that's playing copies of uh, Colgan's Command and you know, your Damnation, things like that. Being able to get value there, I think, would be pretty solid. Well, I don't think the Colgan's Command is actually going to do enough here. Uh, I don't think that the various modes on that will actually have enough of an impact. I, I think being able to... Um, the discard and just return creature modes, I think, is solid enough in a lot of these spots. Um, I, the- I don't think you want to be attacking the hand of the Drunda Shadow player, though. Like, I think if you are attacking their hand, then you're just losing to their creatures. Hmm, okay. Yeah, I can see that being true. Um, I do think, though, um, and just looking at this as <laughs> Underwater Bimbo, these are not great names here. Um... You know, they're in this version, this is a, you know, just a random one I pulled up, but they're playing things like Croxus, not Caster Mage. Um, but, you know, they are playing things like, uh, you know, Blood Chief's Thirst, uh, Fatal Push, uh, Dreadboard, Dronalock. I think those are pretty efficient removal spells that, that you know, when you do get your one-for-one trade, I'm pretty happy with. And the Snapcaster Mage is just helping um, get that along for you. So I think the Colgan Command, not as... Um, I think you're right. I think attacking their hand probably is a, a bad uh, path to victory, but being able to get back your Snapcaster Mage uh, to be able to recur some of these, you know, really efficient removal spells, I think is pretty solid. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I could also see something like uh, the four color control decks possibly being good, just generating enough value. Yeah, I guess that would, I think that would be good. I mean, like, just being able to... Because, once again, they don't have these really great um, sources of card advantage. Um, so being able to just beat them in the card fight and have access to things like Path to Exile. Um, and I think, actually, being able to Archmage Charm their Death Shadow thing is also very underrated. 
Oh yeah, I just I have both uh, been on the giving and receiving end of that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the number of games where um, I'm playing something like a like a prowess deck or something like that, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get my soul scar mage up to a five six, and they're like, I'm gonna steal that before combat. I'm like, I'm not going to attack. <laughs> it's very high and very unfortunate. Yeah, so I think this this could be another another good place. Because um, even you know, looking at this deck too, like they are playing copies of Supreme Verdict, so like they don't really aren't worried if you are um, committing to the board pretty heavily. Um, they do have these Planeswalkers that are going to be recurring value turn after turn, and it, actually something like Teferi too is going to be able to uh, Teferi Time Raveler that is um, is able to get that little tempo advantage by you know kicking back your Tomberg back to your hand um, on those developers. Or a Hex Drinker that's been leveled up a couple times. Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it has pro instance, but doesn't have pro Planeswalkers, hopefully, yet. So that is a, a really good point, too. And even, I guess, the bounce mode on Jason Mind Sculptor is actually a, a pretty good benefit there. So this could definitely be a deck. I actually think it would be really funny to um, for them to get up to level two and try to go for level three and then you Archmage's Charm and steal <laughs> steal it uh, from them. So now you have a pro instant uh, snake. I would be really mad if that <laughs> happened to me. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, this could be a this could be a really good deck here. I'm trying this out. Okay. Alright, I think we I think we talked a lot and I, I don't want the show to be um, too long. So I think we should uh, try to wrap it up here. Um, and I guess uh, next time we talk, we'll try to talk about these uh, top decks to um, how to attack the top decks and legacy then. Um, I do want to note um, that we do have the tokens going live on Magical Online. They were, talk- we were talking about this last week. We have the PTQs coming up this um, this weekend. Um, and tomorrow on Wednesday... Not this weekend, right? Next, they're next week. Next weekend, next week. Yeah, sorry, the, the t- dates here are really confusing because we're, we're in the future, we're talking. Um, but the... Oh, wait, wait, the PTQ... Wait, now I'm confused. The PTQ isn't this weekend coming up, right? I don't think so. I, I think the PTQs are in, like... They start in, like... Uh, actually, yeah, no, you're right. They do start this weekend. Okay, yeah, I thought they were over Easter weekend. Um, okay, that makes me feel better. Cool. So, <laughs> uh, that means that the tokens are coming out. So, you can, um, pay $25, um, get your token of the, um, which gives you access to every card, essentially every card, in, um, you know, all magical online. So, you can actually play whatever deck you want. I'm actually gonna, um, pick that up myself. Uh, so I can play some of these really sweet decks that I haven't been able to play yet, but I keep saying that I want to play. Uh, 25 bucks to be able to do that is, I think, a very worthwhile price. Because um, I do think, you know, once again, I, I think some of these decks that we're talking about um, have a really good shot. Like, I think uh, something like Four Color Control was pretty good against um, Green White Company before, and I think it has a good shot to be still be competitive um, versus that and versus... Um, the John Shadow deck, but I mean, you know, Magic players. I think when when one ban happens, people just very wildly shift what they're doing until people 
um, prove them that you know something else is right. So um, you know there definitely has to be a deck that is going to be competitive here that we just either haven't found yet uh, or people aren't willing to explore yet. So. so, okay. So I know we said we were done talking about decks, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just like kind of thinking about cards and strategies still that I think could be good. Okay. Do you think there is any room for like an emerge strategy in modern right now? Emerge. Uh, so hear me out. Okay. I think Kitchen Finks in particular, a uh, card that we haven't seen in like a really long time, mm -hmm. uh, seems really good against both Shadow and against um, Prowess obviously. Mm. Uh, and then, uh, so naturally the merge creature that always comes to mind is Elder Deep Fiend, a favorite of mine. So this could just be the ramblings of a man wanting to play with one of his pet cards. Mm -hmm. um, but I think Elder Deep Fiend really would buy you a lot of time against the shadow decks. Uh, kind of the huge body of that card seems like it would line up well against something like Prowess. Um, lines up okay against Amulet. Not the best, but not the worst. Cool enough. Uh, bringing back something like Kozilek's Return would actually almost always kill all the creatures against um, against Heliod. Would kill all the creatures against Prowess. Would mm -hmm. could possibly take out the creatures against Shadow. Like it'll always kill Hexshrinker. Basically, it'll kill some number of Scourges, especially if you have. Um, Especially if you're gaining the two life off the kitchen things or four life, like sure. five yeah. damage would typically kill the scourge. Uh, you could play, uh, so you'd probably be like Rug because you have to play Rug for the Kozilex return, mm -hmm. which notably also kills the Oriac champions. Yeah, uh, that's good. So you want to be blue, uh, and then got to be either green or white if you want kitchen things. Uh, I guess there's, you probably want to be green. Yeah, I think green. Then you get Ancient Starrings. Um, you can get Mana Dorks if you want. You could splash for, for black if you wanted to play like Distended Mindbender for whatever reason, also. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to think of what else you would play in this deck. Probably yeah. Champion of Wits. That card's sweet. Yeah, so um, that gets it into your graveyard. That's what I was trying to figure out. Like, what, like, what are your enablers? Because um, it's not like you have access to. I'm just I'm just throwing out cards here, but like it's not like you have access to like careful study. Uh, you don't have access to faithless looting, right? So it's it's not like you can very easily put cards in your graveyard. Um, yeah, I think the best card for that would be like strategic planning, probably, which is not 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 super great. But yeah. Champ Champion of Wits does seem really good for that. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, it's a creature that like you're perfectly fine chump blocking with that too. Mm -hmm. Well, I was also thinking, are you? interested in playing Eldrazi Temple, like in playing, you know, Mattery Shaper and um, Thought Not Theater. Probably. Okay. Because it definitely makes the Emerge better um, if, you're, if you're playing on Emerge. Uh, I'm trying to think. If you played White, you could get Skyclave Apparition, and then mm -hmm. that's actually not terrible. Mm-mm. Um, Especially if you're attacking a token, they're getting the. I'm trying to make sure they they would get the token and then you would wipe it away with, um, Kozlek's return. Yep. So that's yep. solid. And then you're always going to kill it because it's always four or less. So. Who's going to die to that? That's not bad. 
Hmm. Like, I'm not saying that this deck is good. I'm not even sure if it exists, but... It's a thought, at least. Okay. I, I might sketch this up. Yeah, you can sketch it up and we can, we can run through a league or something. One thing, I got a whole week. I got I got time to relax. I'm going to read a book. Um, maybe not maybe not the whole Ooh, what book. book? Um, my friend actually got me, this is um, how seriously I'm taking podcasting. Um, Everybody at the podcast. Um, this is by the host of the podcast, My Brother, My Brother and Me. Um, so they actually have like a family of podcasts and like when I say a family they literally I literally mean their entire family does podcasts it's like they have like six or seven different podcasts it's like you know the brothers do this one the wives do that one their uncle does that one um so they were talking it's talking about how to um run a podcast what you're looking for how to improve the sound quality how to um you know get sponsors things like that so uh one of the books I'm trying to to read and, you know, try to get some, some information out of. Try, try to find ways to improve our podcast. I think that's important. It's constantly improving. Reasonable. Reasonable. Sounds very boring, so I'm not going to read that. But you can uh, you can give me any helpful <laughs> helpful tidbits you get out of that. Will do. I mean, I, I think we talked about this before, too. I very rarely, very rarely read fiction. Um, I just, I, I don't know why, just. The, there are some fiction books I love. Um, once again, like Shadow of the Wind by uh, Carlos Ruiz Zafon. It's like one of my favorite books of all time. I read that uh, three times so far. Um, but I just, for some reason, nonfiction always um, calms me down, lets me lets me think out a little bit more. So, um, you know, if you want to read like the Terrible. Beginner's Path to the, um, um, was it Buddha's? Beginner's Path to the Eight... I, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a book about Buddhism, but not really about Buddhism, but about the ideas and principles in Buddhism that you can incorporate into your everyday life um, while, while being um, not religious. It's, it's like hard to describe, I guess, but um, like that book is a really, really good book that I've, I've read a couple times. Um, you know, how we decide, which is, a, you know, how do we make decisions, what goes into decision-making, why um, do we have biases... Um, and how can we sway them? How can we manipulate them? Things like that. Another book that I'm interested in. Um, I've read that uh, like four or five times. Um, just, I don't know. Weird personality quirk. Yeah, that sounds awful. I will only <laughs> read fiction, basically. I will listen to nonfiction podcasts. Like, I listen to the news, and I listen to a lot of educational podcasts. Um, but in terms of just, like, sitting down to read and enjoy something, I swear to God, if somebody puts a nonfiction <laughs> book in front of me, I'll just throw it at them. Oh. Uh, all right. Uh, let's... I'm not sure. I think we told a story, just, like, not by telling a story. Um, do you have, a, do you have a, a story you want to tell in particular, or do you just want to get out of here? Uh, we can just call that good enough. All right. Uh, I what, had an idea, but we'll save it for next time. All right, sounds good. Uh, well, where can people find you then? Uh, you can find me at Expedition Map on Twitter, at Expedition Map on Twitch, where I very rarely stream. Meant to this weekend, slept through the challenge I was going to play in. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bad Luck Bandit. If you're interested in contacting the show, uh, you can find us at Depth underscore podcast. If you want to email the show and tell us about your deck that's going to be um, favorable versus Helio Company, or if you want to tell us about what you think the best decks in Legacy are right now, feel free to email the show at depth, dark depth, 
pod at gmail.com uh, and we will potentially read those. So, all right. Well, I guess I'll see you next week then. I will see you next week. All right. Bye.